Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Optimove podcast. Last week, we talked about predicting injuries well in advance by observing the way somebody moves. We also talked about common problems that both younger and older adults face. In today's episode, we're going over solutions to those problems. I hope you enjoyed the episode. In the last episode, you talked about screening people's movements. What does that look like? Yeah, so that can be done either on a one-on-one or um, you know a small group basis, or even you know I've seen it done with you know a hundred athletes at, at one time, you know multiple coaches, and you know taking you know three days to do it. So it, it's based on what your needs are. So you can basically break people's movements down, and you take go from basically large movements, and then you break it down to smaller movements. So you might look at. Uh, how well that they can squat while holding a stick over their head, for instance, while keeping that all in alignment. Can their hips move back all the way um, without their knees going protruding forward or without their trunk having to move excessively forward? Um, can they put themselves into that position to begin with? Do, can their shoulders uh, go back that far? Uh, do their knees cave in when they do that squat? Uh, does one side uh, – shift versus another, either at the hip or the knee or anywhere, do the feet kind of turn in in some way or turn out? Um, so that's one example of a basic movement pattern that's very large. And then from there you, you can break things down. So we'll start with large movements. Um, and then from with, from the large movements, we have a better idea of, okay, what do we need to focus in on? So you can go with a large type of movement, um, screen such as an overhead squat, um, there's, there's lunge type of screens. There's, you know, uh, put someone to a side plank and have them do various things. Um, single leg squat. Um, you know, these are all very high level things and you can customize this based on the need of the individual. So you might have, you know, if you have a 75 year old, who's not been real physically active and they're not, have never played sports or anything like that, you would adjust that compared to a 35 year old that's looking to get back to, uh, try being a triathlete or a 75 year old who's looking to reduce in, reduce injury, uh, as they continue to want to run a marathon or be a triathlete. Um, it actually doesn't really matter the age, right? It's based on what the person, uh, wants, what their physical abilities have been up to this point, the risk of injury. And so it can be very much customized. Um, you can do large movement assessments like that. You can do more of, um, analysis of their walking pattern, have them walk forward and backward, preferably with their socks and shoes off. So you can really see how their foot moves in relation to the ground. Um, you can look at just the way that they stand. So you just had them stand in a natural position. Um, does one knee turn in versus the other do, is there a hip alignment difference that you can notice when you just observe someone standing is one of the shoulder blades, um, off compared to the other. Um, in what way is the pelvis tilted? Uh, how much arch is there in the lower back? Uh, how much do the shoulders round forward? How much does the head brown forward? So all these things are large kind of gross, um, things that we can look at. And from there, we start kind of narrowing in on things that we could assess more specifically. So why might a knee turn in when they're either standing or doing an overhead squat or doing a step up type of uh, movement? Um, it could be a hip weakness problem. It could be an inner thigh tightness problem. Um, it could be just a movement that they've learned over time, uh, without any mechanical cause, but for whatever reason they've done this movement over time. And so now their knee turns in. And so, the over the larger assessment gives us an idea of 
there's patterns here. And then from there, we break it down into, okay, we got to dive deeper into this problem, this problem, this problem, because we can't assess the entire body in detail. There's just not enough time. It's not enough. It's not uh, realistic. We have uh, way too many tools at our disposal to look at every single little joint in every, in every detail. Um, so basically you take all the larger movements and all the larger assessments, um, the way that they walk, the way that they stand, um, their larger movement patterns. And then from there you get a pattern from all those larger things, if that makes sense. Um, because it's not always, okay, their knee turns in when they're doing an overhead squat. So this must be the problem. It's okay. We see a pattern here of this, this, and this throughout the whole screen. So now we might go back just to confirm, for instance, um, is it a weakness uh, on one side or is it a um, a tightness issue? And so we then go back and confirm. And so we can very um, uh, quantitatively uh, go and and analyze everything and really break down uh, what the movement patterns are and what's causing it. And there's a million ways to do this. There's a number of different tools. There's a number of different philosophies. It's the overall idea and having just a good systematic way of doing it and being familiar and comfortable with the population that you're working with as you're doing these movement screen assessments. So uh, when I was working more the fitness and strength conditioning world, I worked with elite athletes and did these sorts of movement screens with elite athletes and um, and looked at their posture and walking and things like that. Uh, when I started working more with the general public, I just adjusted it for the general public. And it can be very different. You might have um, someone who has more joint issues and has more physical limitations, you may not have them do some of the same things that you would have an elite athlete do. Whereas a college elite athlete would have to do some of the things that we would not expect of the general public because of their performance requirements. So it's very customized to the individual or the population. Um, and we can get a lot of great data by starting big, um, and then narrowing in and, um, getting detailed and finding out what's causing the movement pattern problems. In part one, you told us about common movement problems among young people. Let's discuss some of the solutions, starting with problems in ankle mobility and how that affects squatting, running, jumping, and more. Yes, the most simple solution is uh, starting stretching the calves, right? It's um, it's not always the solution, but it's a great place to start. And without any other information, um, it's not a bad thing for a lot of people to do anyway. Again, uh, probably uh, without evidence to support this, but you know, anecdotally, um, you know, probably ninety percent of Americans don't have enough ankle mobility uh, on a regular basis, um, especially given the shoes that we wear, the given the way that we move, and 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 all these things. So. Um, stretching the calves on a regular basis, you know, say every time you go into the gym or every time that you're going to go run or do a leg workout, um, stretching the calves and very important to have the foot pointed straight ahead um, and not allow the compensations to happen. So what commonly will happen is people will be stretching their calves, but their foot is turned way out because they're their muscles are tight. So they, so the tight muscles pull the foot outward. So then they're stretching their calves on a regular basis, but they're not really stretching their calf into the position, uh, where the muscles are the most tight. And so they don't get the full benefit out of it. Um, of course, uh, it's not always about the flexibility uh, of the calf muscle. There can be other things that can limit ankle, uh, like limit ankle mobility. Um, and there's a number 
of things to look at as far as, you know, does the joint move well? Um, and that's not always a stretching solution. So it'll take a higher level of skill, uh, to figure out, okay, why is the ankle joint not moving? But the vast majority of the time, um, simply by stretching the calves in the correct way, um, can make a big impact and to figure out if that helps solve the problem. If they're having pain in the bottom of their foot, if they're having, um, problems just moving in general, um, just by stretching the calves, it's, it's the thing that the vast majority of the time will help contribute to solving the problem. So just starting there. So if we're looking for a takeaway, uh, for the solution today, stretching the calves with the foot in a neutral position, meaning pointing straight ahead, um, is a great way to get started. You know, you can, you know, YouTube, uh, different, uh, calf stretches, things like that. I like, I, I like a, a step stretching the calves on the step. Um, that's my preference. Um, a leg press machine if you have it, if it's the, t- it's the right, if it's the right, uh, type of leg press machine. Uh, but stretching on the step works very, very well. And there's usually a step somewhere in the gym, um, that you can go to or, or in your home. Um, and so it's, it's a very easy thing to do that can make a big impact. What about solutions for having leg dominance over hip dominance or arm dominance over shoulder blade dominance? Yeah. And that's a great question. So and we have a, a client just now, so basically her calf would tighten up every single time she would, let's say, play tennis or go running or, you know, doing things like that. And a lot of what we found was when she does higher level things, we're just giving her some simple, like, you know, agility type drills. And every what we found was she was just using her calves all the time for everything, which is actually quite common. So uh, when she's running, when she's playing tennis, when she's uh, doing anything that's more high level, she will go to her calves to do everything. She doesn't move from from her hips uh, as much. So then it's retraining uh, the person to move from their hips. So in this case, it's a combination of you can do some exercises in isolation. Uh, so a very simple one would be strengthen the glute medius and glute minimus. Um, so exercises such as clams or uh, sidestepping, especially sidestepping against a band um, to kind of activate the muscles. And when we activate the muscles, it helps us to be able to talk to our muscles um, more easily. And we talked on, on the part one of, of this about that mind body connection, or you can talk about the, the brain talking to the muscles. Um, if we activate the muscle in isolation, it can then be easier to talk to those muscles when we're doing larger movements. So a uh, perfect example with me, what I used to be very hamstring dominant. I, I used to use my hamstrings for everything. So when I would do a squat, I would use my hamstrings in order to push my hips forward. Um, that can cause a lot of problems. It can cause hamstring tears. It causes a lot of hamstring tightness. Um, and what the problem there is the muscles around the hips and the glutes are not firing enough during larger movements. Um, so it increases risk of injury that way. So what I found very effective is, um, for instance, a uh, band walk stepping sideways. The challenge there is doing that without compensation, without moving the trunk, without moving the hip upward, um, without stepping out too far without turning the foot outward. So there's a lot of compensations that can happen as people try to do these. So the hip muscles can also be very difficult to isolate because of the large number of compensations that people tend to do. Um, it can be a simple clam, uh, clamshell exercise, um, doing those and then going to squats, um, or doing a clamshell exercise and then doing a glute, uh, exercise in isolation 
and then going to a step up or a squat. Um, and so there's different ways of stimulating a muscle, uh, before then going to the larger movement. And then when you do the larger movement, just like you did when you were isolating the muscle, uh, you really have to focus in on using the muscle that you're intending to use. So then using the glutes to push the hips forward rather than just allowing your hamstring to do the work or allowing your quadricep to straighten out the knee. So there's all sorts of different things when you're, um, let's say when, if you're doing very basic drills, uh, just focusing on moving more from the hips, uh, instead of pushing off from the calf, think about moving more from the hips. So again, that mind body connection that along with the strengthening exercises or just the exercise that isolate the muscles in order to help the, the brain talk to the muscles, um, going from an isolated movement and then out to a larger movement. But what you often find is it can be very difficult to simply talk to the right muscle with the larger movement. And it can be very frustrating because you're, you're trying to do it, but it's not happening. Um, so what can be very effective is isolating the, the muscles that you want to use and then go to the larger movement from there. How about tips on avoiding asymmetry where one side is weaker than the other? And in fact, you've told us that it's actually better to be evenly weak on both sides than strong on one and weak on the other. Yeah. So I think that goes back to the movement assessment that we just talked about. So how we'll start with the larger assessment of some type and then go narrow in and figure out, um, what's causing the problem. So for instance, we might notice a pattern throughout a whole screen that when the person moves, uh, let's say they do a squat and their hip shift shifts or their knee turns in or, um, their foot turns in in some way. And then we go to, um, a, side plank. And then when we have them move in a side plank position, one side is more stable than the other, or they can actually move, uh, in a side plank position, um, on one side and not the other. Um, there's a number of different, uh, assessments that we'll do that require us to, to do that movement on both sides in isolation. And then there's other things that we'll see when it's, only one larger movement, but you, even though we're not isolating each side, you can still see movement problems. And then from there, it's going back and saying, okay, this was a pattern throughout this whole movement assessment. Let's figure out what's going on. And we have a number of ideas that we can try and here, we're just going to confirm it. Um, and so it's identifying what's causing the problem on one side versus the other. And then also, um, and then just, uh, working on changing that. It's also about the history as well of the person, no, getting a lot of great information. Uh, what's their medical complexity? Uh, what type of injuries have they had in the past? What type of, um, sports do they play? What type of work do they do? Uh, what types of things do they do over and over and over again, uh, in their life that can contribute to this sort of a problem? Do we need to be, um, looking for, um, a potential, um, misalignment or, one side being dominant over the other based on just what they do in their life. Um, if they work in, in surgery or if they're a dentist or, um, if they work at Aldi and they're, you know, they're always doing something on one side versus another. Um, so it's, um, there's a lot that can, that can go to it. It can also just be very simple. We can make it very complicated, uh, but it can also just be very simple. And then, so if, there's a, a number of go-tos, you know, we've talked in the past about hip weakness being a common problem. And so it's something that we can often go to and, and just test 
yep, there's a hip weakness here. One side is worse than the other. And so we know the types of problems that that's going to cause. Um, one shoulder could work a lot better than another, for instance. And then we just have to figure out, okay, what, why does one shoulder work better compared to another? There might be a core weakness uh, issue on one side. It might be how the body connects because um, oftentimes the body crosses from one side to the next. So the problem uh, might be with the lower body on one side, and then the problem is with the upper body on the opposite side um, or the uh, lower the leg might be dominant on one side, then the upper body on the other side will be will be dominant. So there's all these sorts of patterns that tend to happen. And so the key is to find out exactly uh, what the problem is and to zero in on on the problem and then implement a solution from there. So it can be a whole host of things. Um, it can be talking about what can they do in their life to uh, take away uh, the fact that one side is, is over-dominant compared to the other. Um, are they, do they play sports in which they're always doing something with, with their right arm, for instance? And then do we need to start including intervention, uh, so that they're not so dominant on one side? Do they need to, um, is it a young athlete who just plays tennis all year long and that's all they do? They're not doing any sort of cross training. They're not taking three to four months in the off season to do a different type of sport, uh, where they're doing something very, very different and getting away from tennis for a time or golf, uh, or whatever sport that it might be. So cross training can be a big part of that. So it very much depends on the individual. Um, so we have specific interventions we can do, figure out the root cause of the problem, but also what can we change in their daily life or what, what can we do to change throughout their sports performance activities or their training activities uh, that's contributing to the problem? Because we also need to find out why they have a problem on one side versus another. Do they have a previous surgery that just didn't get rehabbed in the way that it could have? And so we just got to go in after the fact and um, and make it a little bit better so that it that one-sided difference does, does not turn into a larger problem. Um, or sometimes we'll even run into someone had a knee or hip surgery and their rehab was very, very effective on that side. But their other side, which didn't have the surgery, actually doesn't work well at all because it didn't get the rehab. We see that often as well. Um, so uh, if someone had a knee replacement, you know, maybe their hip works very, very well. Their motion is great. Um, everything works uh, exactly as it should. And then on the opposite side, it looks more like a leg that has not been worked on at all. The hip weakness uh, is there. Uh, there's motion problems. There's all sorts of things going on because it never got the tradition, the formal rehab that it needed. So that can be a problem as well. Um, and we often see that. What about solutions to a lack of control over the shoulder blades? Commonly, it lack of shoulder blade control, of course, is is posture related. So a very simple solution there is stretching stretching the neck muscles. The stretching the upper trapezius muscle is just a good uh, way to start because usually that muscle is overly dominant. Not always, uh, but often that's a contributing factor to the problem. And what we often find is when they're overly dominant with the upper trapezius muscle, so the muscle that uh, runs from the shoulders up to the neck, again, that the big bulky muscle you'll see with bodybuilders that goes from the shoulder up to the neck, um, which again, in bodybuilders is lengthened out incredibly well. It's just very big. Um, and so 
they have phenomenal posture. There's a large distance between their ears and their shoulders, and they have a big upper trapezius muscle in between the two. That's nice and lengthened out because bodybuilders have phenomenal posture because that's how they train. Different from uh, what we might think of as meatheads in the weight room who may not have great posture. They work their chest and their biceps too much, so then they round forward, right? Big difference. Um, so for the general public, it's lengthening out the upper trap, uh, upper trapezius muscle, lengthening out the neck muscles, um, because that tends to pull the shoulders upward. There's also, there's other muscles that get involved as well. And, but it's also connecting to the shoulder blade muscles and getting the shoulder blade to move down and back. And that's the motion that most people cannot do very well. Um, a big learning opportunity was when we've, I got to focusing on the lower trapezius and stimulating that. And that's the muscle at the bottom of the shoulder blades. So when we're able to activate that lower trapezius muscle in the correct way, mind-body connection along with correcting the physical causes of not being able to connect to that muscle, um, we're able to make a big difference in the way people that move their shoulder blades. Um, so another challenge there of course is the compensation strategies that tend to occur with that so as we engage that muscle at the bottom of the shoulder blades it's also not using the lower back muscles to do that so all these things uh, tend to come with uh, compensations and that's why it requires uh, oftentimes a skilled person or an external eyes or external hands to really see what's going on as a person is moving so as the problems are being uh, worked on, um, it's having that person to tell you, yep, yep. Your shoulder blades are moving in this way. You know, this muscle is working correctly. Um, nope. You're still using this in order to pull your shoulder blades down and back, or you're trying to pull your shoulder blades down and back, but you're actually pulling your shoulders upward more as opposed to down and back. And that's very, very common. Um, so it can be a process. Um, but also sometimes it doesn't have to be uh, a large process. So it's depends on what's causing the problem. How about fixing bad posture in younger people posture at the shoulder leading to back problems and also the issue of hamstring tightness? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's an infinite number of ways to look at this an infinite number of solutions and infinite number of, uh, problems that are causing it. Um, even for an individual person. So I'll, I'll talk a few very simple things that people can do that work very, very well with younger people um, that they can start off with to get going. So oftentimes uh, the posture problem um, in today's society is because we sit too much at work and we sit for too long or we're going to school for way too long um, and sitting in classrooms for way too long, right? Um, and even if we put in standing opportunities and all this stuff, you know, that um, sometimes that fixes it, sometimes it, sometimes it doesn't. Um, so what... A good way to go about it is to do the opposite of the sitting on a regular basis. So at the end of a workday, it might be just lying on your stomach, for instance. And then once you can lie on your stomach without pain, going up onto your elbows. If you can do that, then going all the way up to your hands. Um, and so putting your back in the exact opposite position that it's been in all day long, which is flexing forward. So then reversing it back the other way. And... Now, if you have radiating pain down your leg when you do this, or if, um, or if the pain increases and it doesn't get better, you know, so then you might want to consult a specialist. But so these are some basic things that you can start to do just lying on your stomach 
um, if you're a younger individual and starting from there, from the stomach to your elbows, from, and then up to your hands, uh, if you can tolerate it just fine, um, strengthening the lower back muscles so that the lower back muscles become shorter. And so they'll pull your pelvis, uh, more backwards rather than allowing your pelvis to be just tucked underneath you. Um, stretching the hamstrings on a regular basis. So we sit a lot. Um, and then just because of life, even if we're walking a lot, the hamstrings will tighten up with just a lot of walking, any repetitive, uh, front to back movement, such as running or walking or cycling, um, will cause the hamstrings to tighten up. Um, and so stretching the hamstrings on a regular basis, um, on top of that, a lot of times hamstring tightness is also, um, a result of a glute weak, uh, glute, glute weakness problem. So the, our glute muscles become, uh, overly, uh, either weakened or they don't fire as they should, uh, when we, when we do things in life. And so the hamstring has to make up for it. A uh, big fancy word we call a synergistic dominance is where the secondary mover is, uh, doing the work that the primary mover should be doing. So, um, the, the muscle that should be doing the work is not doing the work. Somehow the work has to get done. So the muscle that's supposed to be assisting is no longer assisting, it's leading, and it's not built to lead. And that's why uh, oftentimes people get hamstring problems, hamstring tears, um, and then overly tight hamstrings. So another way around this is we can stretch the hamstrings, but also uh, strengthen the glute muscle and activate the glute muscle back to what we talked about previously about the, um, the leg muscles or the muscles away from the body being too dominant. We want to make the muscles that are closer to the body more dominant, the hip muscles, the glute muscles, the trunk muscles. We want those to be more dominant. And that's another way that we can, uh, reduce that hamstring tightness. And so the, the problem with hamstring tightness and the way it relates to posture is it pulls our pelvis into that tucked under position. Um, for the healthcare providers, a posterior pelvic tilt. Uh, but you can just think of it as the hamstring pulling your pelvis downward. It tucks your tail underneath you. Uh, it can also get to the point where the knees bend when we walk as well, if the hamstring is that tight. So the pelvis gets pulled uh, downward, the knees bend, and then that's how we walk or that's how we stand. And then as when we try to stand upright, it doesn't work out real well. And I think the other important thing with posture is it's not always about standing upright and people become frustrated with their spouses, with their children, with their, whoever is, is on their case about, you know, stand upright, work on your posture. Um, and they're saying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Well, and they can't try all day long. Um, so the best way to work on posture is by structuring the muscles in such a way that when they're resting, they're structured in a way that pulls the body where it needs to go. The upper back muscles pull the shoulders back. The chest muscles are lengthened out well enough to allow the shoulders to go back. The lower back muscles are more short rather than overly lengthened out. And so our back has a nice arch to it. Our hips are slightly backward rather than our tail tucking underneath us. Our hamstring muscles are more lengthened out, so it's not pulling our, our tail downward. Um, and then our calves are nice and lengthened out. So as we're walking, that's not contributing to the posture problem as well, or when we're standing. And so all these things we can work on to get the body better aligned, and that allows us to be more upright, to stand upright. Um, so it's a number of different things. So a big takeaway, reversing what we do in daily life. At, 
um, is a big important part of this. It's not as realistic to me to say, well, let's, let's sit less. We can try, but that can be a challenge or whenever you can be up and walking around if, uh, at your job if you can. And if you can't do that, getting frequent, uh, getting frequent times where you're standing up and walking, um, getting out of that sitting position and doing it frequently throughout the day. Those are big things that we can do just instead of sitting in a, uh, for hours and hours and hours without standing up. Just standing up once in a while can make a big difference as well. Um, so, of course, there's ergonomic things there's, you can do. There's um, there's all sorts of different things. Um, the What I like to do is when I'm in the weight room, that's when I'm doing my corrective exercises. That's when I'm doing my posture exercises. That's when I'm doing my stretching. That's when I'm really activating every, uh, the muscles I need to be activating to reverse what I'm doing all day long, no matter what I'm doing in my life, whether when I was a student um, or whether I'm running around seeing uh, clients all day or if I'm you know, at a conference all day, uh, sitting and, and, um, and learning, um, when I go into the weight room, that's going to be when I'm reversing everything. Or at the end of the day, I'll just get on my stomach and gain my back in a backward position. Um, another thing you can do is if you're in a situation where you're leaning forward a lot, let's say if you're, you know, working on a, you know, dishwasher or something like this, you know, so you're, you're working on some project where you're bent forward quite a bit throughout the day, or when I'm, uh, giving my kids a bath or whatever, you know, I'm bent forward. And again, younger people have a lot of fluid between their, their vertebrae. And that's problematic because that fluid can more easily then be pushed backwards and press against a nerve potentially. Um, and so younger people are at higher risk, uh, for those sorts of problems and they can be quite debilitating and, um, they can be a long recovery. So then if we're in a bent forward position, that's when you really want to be sure to get your spine in a bent backward position and reverse what you've just done because that bent forward position, you put that type of pressure on your back long enough, it's going to be become more and more problematic. So on a regular basis, going onto your stomach and bending the, the back backwards um, tends to be a very helpful solution and simple solution uh, for younger people. Moving on to discussing some solutions for problems faced by older adults, specifically regarding posture, what's the right way to think about being pulled forward due to tightness at the front of the leg, and also hip weakness? Very, very common problem, tightness in, tightness in the front of the leg pulling the person forward. So usually what we see is it's from sitting too much, oftentimes. Um, the tightness in the front of the leg uh, pulls the trunk forward. As people tend to sit more and more as they get older, um, as we tend to see as a pattern, um, for a number of different reasons, this happens uh, energy level or just lifestyle changes or, um, whatever the reason, uh, people tend to sit more as they get older. And so when they're in that sitting position, the front of their leg then is constantly shortened. And then when they stand up, it remains short. Right. And so then they're not able to stand up as well. So the trick is one, Anything we can do to sit less and less, especially as we get older, uh, for a number of different reasons. That alone is going to help reduce the tendency for the front of the legs to get tight. Um, the other challenge is stretching the front of the legs in a way that is appropriate for the person and that's safe. Um, stretching the front of the legs can be a challenge. Uh, 
because there are more risks with it. It can be difficult to do. There's a lot of compensations that go with it. Um, the way that we would stretch the front of the leg on a elite triathlete is going to be very different than, um, an 85 year old who has osteoarthritis in their knee, because a lot of times the, uh, best ways for a younger athlete to stretch the front of their leg is to put them into a kneeling position. Uh, and these are positions that can be very difficult to do. If it can be done safely and with supervision or uh, safely in general, again, lying on uh, an older person lying on their stomach. And that helps to stretch out the front of their legs, um, helps to put their spine in a good position. Now, we also want to be uh, conscious of their airway to make sure that they don't get stuck in that position, then they can't breathe. And so it can also be a, a situation where we need a higher level skill, uh, skilled person to help them into that position, help them out of that position. Can the older person get into a position where they're lying on their stomach? It can be very effective and very powerful. Um, but some with the right guidance, with the right skill, with the, with the healthcare provider, that's, that knows what they're doing. Um, but if, if it can be done safely, uh, someone lying on their stomach can be very effective. Um, if you're before that point, I think prevention is a great, uh, strategy. So with your flexibility overall, remaining flexible as we get older so that you are not in a position to where later in life, your muscles are just very, very tight. They're causing all sorts of problems, all sorts, all sorts of postural problems. And then it's difficult to stretch those muscles out. Because now um, it's difficult to put yourself into that position safely. Um, it's um, there's a lot of pain sometimes when people try to do it. So maintaining flexibility throughout life becomes more and more important um, as we continue to get older. Um, and it is going to be more difficult to become more flexible or to address these sorts of problems as we get older if we're not stretching um, throughout our life. Um, so prevention is, is also key. Um, as far as uh, hip weakness, it's based again based on the individual. Um, but activating, just first off, recognizing that the the problem is there, and then when we try to start strengthening the hip, what type of compensations does the person do? It's another challenge with the hip strengthening because compensation strategies are so commonly done. Let's say uh, back to a basic clamshell exercise. Um, with when you're lying on your side and your knee and your knees are bent forward and you're just lifting your knee upward with your hip muscle, the most common compensation is the hip rotating backwards and lifting the leg up. So it's not actually the muscles lifting the leg up. It's the movement of the hip that rotates the leg upward. Um, it's using muscles in the trunk or in the back to lift up the pelvis, which then lifts the leg up. So all these different compensations can occur and those compensations can cause uh, pain and discomfort and movement problems in and of themselves. So we can easily also as healthcare providers or as fitness professionals cause problems if we're not implementing these things in the right way. Um, it's also, you know, does the person have um, a bursitis problem on on one side or on both sides to where starting it with a clamshell is actually too aggressive. Um, if we start them with a clamshell, they can't actually do it without compensation. So we do, do we need to start at something that's, uh, more conservative than that? So it's very much based on the individual person as well. Um, but very important to look at where the person's hip strength is and then, 
uh, creating an intervention uh, from there and slowly building it over time and being very focused on addressing the compensation that tend to occur when people use their hip muscles. Um, Let's say if their hips are stronger and they're doing a sidestep against resistance, let's say with a band. Um, Very common compensations are the hip hiking up, the trunk bending sideways, um, the foot turning out, um, taking an excessively large step as as opposed to just, you know, about 45 degrees outward because that's really as far as we should be moving anyway because the hip can't really move that far. But people might use their entire leg to step sideways. So all these compensations tend to happen both in the fitness world and the rehab world. So it's getting very, very fine-tuned on those compensations, making sure that they're not happening, making sure the correct muscle is doing the work. So the movement might be correct, but they might be using the muscles in the front of their leg. They're using their hip flexors and the quadriceps to do the movement instead of the muscles, uh, instead of the side glute muscles, the muscles in in the side of the rear end, because that is, that's the muscle that we're targeting. And those are the muscles that prevent a lot of issues that we tend to see, um, in all populations. Um, so it's being able to activate those properly and then use those muscles, uh, during the movements that we're looking to do. How about solving problems with quad strength and activation? Yeah. And so quad weakness is often cause uh, in older people sometimes just because of lack of use it can happen gradually over time too much sitting not enough uh, physical activity uh, not enough strengthening in general um, it can happen very suddenly from one hospitalization or a hospitalization uh, causing more um, problems as far as the person being mobile in general so then the quad weakness tends to continue on and on as the person moves less and less um, it can happen because of a surgery um, that then results in uh, the quad becoming weak. And if they didn't get the right rehab uh, to begin with um, after that surgery, then that can be a problem. The quadricep muscle tends to um, not contract against the knee um, as much if there's a problem at the knee. So as people develop osteoarthritis or pain in the knee in general, you know, we've talked in the past about, um, how often osteoarthritis can be, um, alleviated by addressing the muscles and and everything around the knee. Um, but if they're getting knee pain, the quadricep is going to contract less on it. So there's a few things we can do. One, why is the quadricep weak? Um, it can, so it can be very simple. So, having people do very simple sit to stand exercises based on where they're at. So it might be having them working on standing up from a chair and sitting back down, pressing their hands into the chair and standing up. Um, and then from there progressing to being able to stand up without using their hands. Um, at the beginning it might be standing up and back down, um, and working on lowering down slow and controlled, but that can be hard for a lot of people. Um, and of course having the hips and knees aligned, making sure the knees don't cave in because that'll feed into um, a knee problem and it will feed into the hips not activating. Um, So standing up and down from a chair with the knees and hips uh, properly aligned. And again, you can think of this uh, for squats as well. These are all important things uh, for uh, older people and younger people. These are all movement problems that tend to occur, whether it's standing up from a chair or whether we're doing squats with a bar on our back um, or with a kettlebell uh, and that we're holding in the front. Um, so a lot of these are similar solutions. Now we might progress from being able to stand up and back down and sitting down slow and controlled. Um, 
from there we might go sitting back down in the chair but lightly tapping the chair with our bottom and then standing back up that's actually requires a lot of strength that a lot of people especially as we get older tend tend to lack it can be very very challenging uh, and so it's similar to doing a bicep curl and focusing not on lifting the the weight up but focusing on slowly lowering the weight down it's a different type of contraction than the contraction of of uh, curling the weight upward so we need to focus on lowering back down as well and then having the control to tap the chair and raise back up but again that's very uh aggressive and, and high level uh for for a lot of older people um but something that's actually very very important um now sometimes the quadriceps may not be the main muscles doing the work even when we're standing up and down from a chair and the way we might be able to see that is if let's say we had them standing up and down from a chair but their knees are are just moving forward every time they they go to stand back up or they move their feet backwards um so that they can use mechanical leverage to lift themselves back up um and so if we had their foot go forward um more directly underneath the knee we'll find that they either cannot stand up from the chair or there's some other compensation that they have to do and so that's a sign that yep that we have a quad weakness problem now the addressing the quad very specifically um is back to that mind-body connection. Um, the challenge in rehab oftentimes is, let's say you have knee surgery and they'll have you do your, your quad sets, uh, you know, where you're pushing your, your knee down into the table um, and you do that over and over again. Great exercise if done properly. And then they'll progress you to lifting the leg up over and over again. The challenge we often see is uh, when people are given the exercise of lifting the leg up over and over and over again, they're not using their quads too often. Uh, oftentimes, they're using the hip flexors more up towards the trunk. They're using the muscles that lift the leg from the hip rather than using the quadricep muscle that straightens out the knee. So very important that we focus on that what we call a quad set where we're pushing the knee down. You can think of it as just a, th a simple thigh contraction, pushing the knee down, lengthening out the back of the leg really well and getting a good activation of the thigh of the front of the thigh muscle and really getting that pattern learned, connecting from our brain to that muscle uh, properly and making sure we can do it very, very well. And then when we go to the exercise of lifting the leg up, activating that quadricep muscle, activating that thigh muscle, and then lifting the leg up. And can we lift that leg up? And can we do it in a way that the knee doesn't bend? Can we lift it up in a way that we're not using our hip muscles or our back muscles? So all these different compensation strategies um, can come into play uh, when people go into rehab, uh, whether it's a strengthening issue or if they've had surgery. Um, so if people are put into a position where they're getting rehab in a place where the place is seeing too many people, shall we say that type of detail and attention is does uh, too often doesn't happen. And so when you're in rehab, really make sure that your therapist or the technician or whoever's working with you is focused on that level of detail to make sure that you're using the correct muscles properly. Because if you're not, when you're just lifting your leg up over and over and over again for a rehab exercise, you're actually just activating and shortening the hip flexor muscles up more towards the trunk, which then is going to cause you to become more shortened uh, 
up at the hip, which then causes the problem that we just talked about, which is the leaning forward problem. Um, so then the muscles, the muscles in the front of the leg up at the hip become very dominant. And then our posture is then affected. We're leaning forward because we're doing exercises that where we're using the wrong muscles. So basically long story short, making sure that we're using the correct muscle and getting that mind body connection, um, before we progress to the, to the next level. And then those isolation exercises we can use to work on the standing up and sitting down type of exercises, or if we progress all the way back to doing squats or step ups. Um, so basically taking away the compensations, making sure we're using the correct muscles, um, and also, uh, addressing any mechanical pro- uh, causes of the that might be preventing us from activating the quadricep properly. So we might be getting knee pain um, that's preventing us from activating the quadricep the way that we should be. The, me- the knee pain might be caused by by hip weakness. It might be caused by inner thigh tightness. Um, it could be caused by a number of different things. So then addressing the cause of why the knee is why the quadricep is not activating the way it should. So. Again, it can be very simple or it can become very complex. So, and that's when, uh, the skill of the healthcare provider is very important to help, uh, solve these sorts of problems. So it's clear that there are so many things we have to do to prevent problems before they happen. But if this is all way too much to think about, how can we realistically do these things with so much else going on in our lives? Right. And, and this is, um, a lot of this is prevention, right? Uh, it's it's going to prevent something um, months and uh, years and even decades into the future. The problem is we have to do that with a lot of things in our lives, right? You know, we have to save for retirement. We have to get a will together. We have to um, deal with um, our will uh, towards our towards the end of our life and when we're wrapping up our career. So we're dealing, we're busy with all these other things. We have to be uh, keeping up with with our children. You know, you know all these different things in life. We're we all got a lot going on. So what can we do? Right. Um, and I think the, the key thing to understand is it's not like you have to fix the whole body. Uh, oftentimes it's what are the main key things that need to be addressed? What's kind of the one big thing or the few big things that are causing a large amount of problems and just getting going with those things. Now, how do you figure those, those things out? Sometimes it's, it's more obvious. Um, but of course having a skilled professional be able to take you through, um, these sorts of movement screens, um, or movement assessments, and then zero in on what's the cause that's called, that's causing these sorts of things. And then you know what, what to focus on. So you're not just running around guessing, uh, what the problem is. So you might have a simple, um, hip weakness issue, but if you don't know that, then you think you have a knee problem or, um, or, or a foot problem, right? Not knowing that the real cause is actually coming from the hip. So it's getting the right guidance so that you know what to address. And then the number of exercises or the number of types of corrections that you need to do becomes easier and easier because you have less, you have less to do and what you're doing is more powerful. Um, it's also about implementing it in a way that's conducive to your life. So in, in my situation, I don't do separate corrective exercises on their own. I only really do them, uh, when I'm in the weight room, um, take the weight room away I find myself not doing my corrective exercise that I need to be doing, uh, because I've always done them in the weight room. Now, some people, it might be right after, um, what, right after a run, or it might be right after some, 
sort of sport that they're doing. Um, let's say that they go to yoga class on a regular basis and they're doing a great job of getting their stretching in, but they also know that they need to be working on a couple of additional things that's specific to them. It might be just going and doing those things before or after a yoga class or a Pilates class um, or right after work, uh, just going and spending some time um, and lying on one stomach and then maybe doing a little bit of stretching here and there after sitting all day. So it's what in your life um, can you do in a way that's conducive to your life that where you can do for your body that is the most optimal as far as your movement and then just do that on a consistent basis. And so it doesn't need to be this overwhelming thing where we're trying to optimize all these different parts of our body. So we're being, um, so we're moving perfectly. It's just, what are the main challenges and what, is, what are the few key things that we can use to address? Now, of course we can get very elaborate with it. And if we want to operate at a higher level uh, performance, or if we want to get very aggressive and prevent a lot of these problems and put this on the front burner, of course we can do that. We can get, be, we can get very, very detailed or if we've been suffering with a lot of problems for a long time, and this was something that was a long time coming, you know, it might take a lot more to kind of peel all this away. Um, so we can get as in depth as we want, but we can also keep it, um, very simple. Um, and with a lot, without a lot of, uh, time and effort and attention and just doing things that, uh, you know, doing the most optimal things consistently over time. Um, and that's directed at the root cause of the problem. Uh, so we have a root solution that we're just implementing over time. Hey, everybody. This is the producer, Anmar, here. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. If you want to subscribe to the Optimove podcast, head to www.podcast.optimovedfw.com. That's where you'll find links to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Once again, that's www.podcast.optimovedfw.com. To learn more about Optimove, our practice, go to www.optimovedfw.com. And lastly, if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, give us a call at 214-712-8242. That's 214-712-8242. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.